Hello, I'm John Kelly, and this is a podcast of Mystery Train. For rights reasons, the music is shorter than in the original programme. Mystery Train hits the rails Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on RTE Lyric FM. That's music there from tonight's guest, who is Sean McElhane. Uh, every Sunday night we get someone in to pick the music on Mystery Train, and Sean's going to pick all the tracks tonight. Good to have you here, Sean. It's a pleasure, <laughs> double pleasure to be here. <laughs> now, uh, Sean is, a, well, for instance, on this particular album, his, his own most recent album called Music for Empty Years, Sean plays clarinet, bass clarinet, Chalamieu? Chalamieu. Chalamieu. Chalamot. What's a Chalamot? Chalamot is, I guess, the Baroque predecessor to a clarinet. In fact, the bottom half of a clarinet is still called a Chalamot register. So the Chalamot is just a piece of wood with holes in it with no keys or anything. It's a kind of a primitive thing. It seems from before the clarinet grew keys and sophistication. Right, we're not even halfway down the list yet. A Bawu? Bawu, yeah. That's yeah. a Chinese... Um, it's a single reed instrument as well, but it's it's unusual because you're blowing into what's more or less like a an accordion reed. So it's just like an on and off kind of this very little dynamics or subtlety with it, um, but it's great for bending notes and it's a really interesting sound, I think. Okay. Um, an alto saxophone, I know what that is. A synthesizer, I've heard of those. Live electronics and a, and a Wurlitzer. <laughs> We've all got a Wurlitzer at home. Well, there was a Wurlitzer in the studio, so I couldn't might, resist. Yeah, you might as well. The, the singer on that, Sive, um, now she's not on all the tracks, so mm. it, this is this is your album. Um, it also features Jan Bang, who was featured in this programme in other forms, uh, live sampling, samples, acoustic bass, and Ivan Darset, another ECM artist, um, guitars and electronic. Might give some idea, just even on first listen, what you're about, Sean. So before we even, before we even get that far, where are you from? From down the road, actually. Um, I grew up in Dean's Grange, which is just a short cycle away from where we're sitting now. Um, yeah, that's where I'm from. Pretty normal kind of background. I was born sometime in the mid-70s. Um, and my parents are both from Galway, so there's a West of Ireland connection, I suppose. Um, but, yeah. Musical house? No, no, no. I'm always asked that, No pretty much not musical house. I'd say my I could just describe my father as musical, but he's someone who didn't ever get a chance to learn an instrument yeah. or play. He always sings and whistles. My mother is, sorry, Mammy, is close to a musical. Like, she just kind of doesn't like music. Actually doesn't like it? No, almost, yeah. Right, because yeah. I, have, I have met, I did meet somebody once who said he actually didn't understand how people could like music, <laughs> but then he was he was an executive at the BBC, <laughs> which would explain. I've met one other person who d- describes themselves as not liking music, another woman, but um, yeah, so her and my mother are the only people. Wow, extraordinary. Mm. And big family? Uh, four boys, yeah. yeah. All musical? or Yeah, yeah, we're all musical. We all strummed guitars, and my brother actually is famous. He sings in a band. Um... <laughs> I love the way you said that. He, uh, at the he, moment, it looks like you can't remember either his name or, <laughs> or the band's name. His name's Ronan, but the band is the Dale Cooper Quartet. Right. And he lives in Paris, and they're French-based, but they'd, like, tour all over the place and do these huge gigs. And um, he's only started doing it in the last five years, but he's already playing at the huge stadiums. And I've been slogging away for 20 years, and I'm lucky if I get a few people to show up. 
And when I, when I mentioned at the top the, the list of musical instruments that you play, what was your first instrument? I guess uh, piano. I was one of those people that was sent off to piano lessons and I hated them um, until I just put my foot down in a stubborn way and said, I'm not going, I don't know how I was able to do this, but at a certain point I said, okay, I'm only going to keep playing the piano if you let me buy the Doors book, which was the big omnibook of all Doors music written, arranged out for piano. And I still remember that book's beautiful, big, heavy, white book. I was very into the Doors at the time. So, so from that point, I started to be able to I guess learn it for in a way that I actually wanted to learn it, and then then I then I went on to guitar and became a singer songwriter, but I got cured. Do you know a lot of people that I meet on this Sunday night program, they have a similar story in that they took piano lessons mm. and hated it. Mm -hmm. Why why is it that so many people hate piano lessons? Because they mm. often they go quite willingly to learn the piano. Not always, mm. but, you know, why is it? That, what's wrong with piano lessons that so many people don't seem to get on with it? Well, maybe it's... I'm just making up a theory now off the top of my head, but maybe it's got something to do with the, the material that you're, that you're learning in piano is material that most of us don't grow up listening to or have any kind of emotional connection to. So very few of us are probably interested in playing these etudes. And it... Perhaps, now maybe things have changed a bit. Actually, this reminds me of a very beautiful film, um, Making the Grade, by uh, an Irish director that came out recently, um, all about different, different, I suppose it's about different approaches to learning the piano. Well, that's one little thing that happens. So maybe things have changed now. But my day, it was very, you'd be learning these French composers whose names you couldn't pronounce, and you'd be learning etudes, and it was quite kind of technical and, and kind of lifeless and bland. Yeah. So maybe there's a bit of that. Just not really about music, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, we might come back to some of this. Uh, your first musical choice uh, is not The Doors, it's Bobby McFerrin. Mm. Now tell me why you picked Bobby McFerrin. Tell me about Bobby McFerrin too, because a lot of people will know him for one thing. Right, right, right. Don't worry, be happy. Yeah. And yet there's a, I remember lot, that. There's a lot more to Bobby there's McFerrin. There's so much to Bobby McFerrin, and I'm not any expert in Bobby McFerrin, but uh, this is a very... This is kind of a, a one of his lesser-known avenues. This group he had, I think, maybe eight singers, just a cappella, and they made this. He made this song in nine, uh, this uh, album in nineteen ninety-seven, and called Circle Songs. And it's maybe, maybe there's eight tracks in it. They're all just a cappella. Absolutely, it's one of my favorite records, actually, um, which I just discovered by mistake a long time ago. Someone gave me a tape of it. And yeah, there's just something. Well, this track is a beautiful groove, and it, but there's beautiful heart and warmth. Just to have and six, it's just human voice on just this, people it? singing in a room. Yeah, All right. circle song six. As Bobby McFerrin, the first choice of my guest tonight, Sean Michael Lane, and that's uh, Circle Song Six. The album is called Circle Songs, Sean, wasn't it? Yep. Okay, so we have established you as a Dean's Grange multi-instrumentalist who <laughs> gave up piano lessons. Uh, but, uh, no, y yeah, yeah. Well, you gave up the lessons, but you still played piano because you wanted to be in the doors. I didn't want to be in the doors, John. <laughs> well, am I? <laughs> well, my timing wasn't right for that. Um, and I suppose, my yeah, similarly, I was listening to all old stuff, old music, and there was... Uh, I have to confess, I wasn't listening to RT Lyric FM. It wasn't actually, it didn't exist back then. Um, but I was listening to like Sunshine, Sunshine 101, is that what yeah, it was called? I don't know. There was a couple of pirate stations anyway, yeah. and they used to play, yeah, 60s pop music from America. They, they had these kind of marathon things on the weekends where they, I suppose there wouldn't be ads. Maybe there was no ads in that station, I can't remember. 
But they just played these things for hours. They played. Uh, was this kind of sixties, sixties yeah, rock? It, it was uh, like six. It was kind of like the top forty or top hundred sixties yeah. songs. Now you might say that doesn't sound like a particularly um, what's the word ambitious approach to music if you just listen to. This. Now this is the staple stuff. There's nothing wrong yeah. with any of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, this yeah. is the this is the core. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? I would have thought you might have been listening to something a bit more edgy than mainstream adult no. adult orientated rock as no. they used to call it no i guess i just waded into the, the the broad safe part of the river to begin with yeah. and then kind of figured that out and i i mean i i even for, for me it's nearly like an exercise in ear stretching i even remember i'm one of these people who had an older brother like lots of your guests and who had tapes and stuff he had a uh, jimmy hendrix tape and I remember putting it on and going, oh, what, like, what is this? This is, I remember actually thinking to myself, I can't understand this music. Yeah. So I turned it off, um, which is a funny thought now because, of course, Hendrix just sounds like pop music. Um, so I suppose you just, you have a little dabble and you go, oh, yeah. Or, or you, then you listen to Bob Dylan albums and you listen to the live albums. You go, what is, oh, what's that? Live at Budokan or something. So, but little by little, you start dipping your toes into the swirly eddies. I well, that's, tr that's true, you know, because, I mean, if people are honest, if, a if you're a certain age, I mean, when I went to discos and things, now I'm 10 years older than you, it must yeah. be, but when I went to discos and things, um, you know, it was all, it was wonderful tonight, it was the slow set. Mm. You know, it was a sort of mainstream rock track as you're going to get, you yeah. know, that's the sort of stuff. And this yeah. was in the era of punk. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. In inescapable, really. Yeah. It was all there. But I thought when you started to talk to me first that maybe you were listening to, I don't know, Boston, Journey. No, uh, those no. Sorts of, those sorts of uh, no. bands, you know. They passed me by. No, so you're talking about, you're talking about the, the classics. Yeah. The Doors, yeah. Hendrix. What, is, what I now would have to call dad rock. Yeah. Zeppelin. Oh, I love Zeppelin, yeah. Yeah, you see, that's all right. Yeah. No, that's okay now. It's not, I was going to send you home, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> Your next choice is Bob Dylan, actually. So uh, when you like... As you say, was Dylan one of those people when you heard it first, you're not quite sure what it is? No, no, he was first, love at first sight. Yeah? Yeah. So given that you probably know his back catalogue pretty well, mm. tell me why you chose this particular track tonight. This track is called Dear Landlord. It's from pretty much my favourite Bob Dylan album, actually, John Wesley Harding, which is kind of not one of the most celebrated ones, but it's a beautiful, beautiful album. This one, uh, if you'll excuse me, the kind of political soapbox I can, I can now turn your radio programme into... This, this thing is about landlords and there's something that that is happening in Ireland we're all talking about the homeless crisis all the time but one thing that never gets mentioned on the radio or in, on the, in the media is that really yes there's not enough houses but a lot of this stuff is just being driven by greed by people who are trying to squeeze people and if everyone stopped squeezing people so much we wouldn't be in this situation and this album this little song Dear Landlord is pretty much says that in a much better way Bob Dylan Dear Landlord Bob Dylan, dear landlord, the choice of Sean Lane is with me in studio. You still a Dylan fan? Have you followed him throughout his, his transformations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like so many of other people. I've kind of slackened off on recent albums. The last one I really, really enjoyed or uh, listened to was Modern Times, yeah. which is probably twelve years old now or something. And yet live, it's extraordinary still to yeah. this day. I mean, yeah. in recent gigs, I've seen YouTube clips from gigs in America, yeah. the current tour, and it's he's still, yeah. you know. Anyway, so. Um, 
all this music you've mentioned so far, be it, you know, classic rock, dad rock, or whatever you want to call it, um, Bob Dylan, etc., it doesn't seem to suggest to me yet any of the music that you ultimately ended up playing. No, uh, no. Well, I listened to a lot of different kinds of music, I suppose, and I remember there was two musics that I didn't like. I was very passionate about music as a teenager, so I listened to lots of stuff. I listened to classical music as well, and there was two things I was really certain I didn't like, and that was opera and jazz. There's only one thing I don't like now. Yeah, I wonder. Um, but anyway, uh, my brother went to the States and came back, uh, like a J1 holiday working thing, came back with a suitcase of compact discs, and they were pretty much mostly jazz CDs. For a start, there were CDs, a whole suitcase of CDs that was, oh, was mind-blowing. And so there was a lot of Ella Fitzgerald, a lot of Miles Davis, a little bit of Coltrane. And, yeah, that's just... I was allowed to listen to them. Why, why did you not like it or think you didn't like it? I don't know. There was something kind of shiny about it. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose I was probably subscribed to some notions of authenticity and uh, making music from your soul. If we can put it that way. As I was a teenager. Yeah, but you'd been hearing the wrong jazz, obviously. Quite possibly, I mean, yeah. As, but it wasn't very easy it to hear jazz back then. Well, that's true. So in Dublin back then, in the 80s. Um, so this, this suitcase of CDs transformed all that. And then kind of shortly afterwards, I had a friend who had a saxophone. I don't know how he had a saxophone, but he had a saxophone. Um, so I called over to his house and looked at the saxophone and pushed some of the buttons. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get one of those. And I was able to get one of those, a second-hand saxophone, from a, a saxophone player in Hoth. And then I started lessons and got I got really very, very into it. So what age were you then? Maybe I was uh, I was kind of 16, 17 probably. Yeah. It was kind of a late starter, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know whether it is or not, but it seems to me like that's yeah. late. Yeah. I'd, I'd have thought maybe, I just assumed actually that your musical uh, background would have been you'd been playing, I don't know, a trumpet or something no. from an early age. No. No, no, I just took it upon myself to figure this stuff out. and You became a jazz sax player? Uh, well, yeah, briefly. <laughs> I wonder is it too late. I nope. wonder is it too late. Yeah, no, but that does, it does strike me as, you know, uh, quite a, an abrupt uh, left yeah. turn, maybe. Yeah, it was, it was pretty planned out, it was premeditated. Yeah. And uh, it was something that I kind of insisted on, and I was, it was able to happen. And how difficult was it to pick up an instrument like a saxophone at that age? And yeah, it doesn't sound very good for the first while. Yeah. Um, but in fact, it didn't sound for quite. It didn't sound good for quite a long time. But I thought it did sound good. <laughs> but of course, you see, it's not just about being able to play it. It's, it's no, about it's being able to improvise and being able to do all that. What it looks like in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that improv thing, that all seemed to make just clear sense to me. Um, and it still does. It seems like the most natural way that you'd make music. Um, it's just like what we're doing right now. It's a conversation between whatever amount of people and or whatever amount of audience as well. That's so about four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a quartet. <laughs> so you had, uh, you see, you had a facility then for, for improvisation, but you mustn't have known you had that until you've I until used you tried to, it. I used to do things like on the piano, these kind of long rambling things, which I didn't know were improvisations, but I suppose they were. And yeah. I... I yeah, just trying to figure out stuff on the guitar, which I was completely self-taught. I was, you know, you'd learn the chords, but then you'd go, what What happens if you move that chord around there? Or, that was all part of just learning musicianship, I suppose. 
So, yeah. It's interesting, and I think anybody listening might find it interesting that it is, it is possible at a certain point. How, you, know, you literally went from being a singer-songwriter mm. to a jazz saxophonist. Yeah. That's, that's a good move. Okay, your next musical choice. Uh, you mentioned classical music. Yeah. Uh, you've, the only one, as, well, as I look down the list, is this the only one, Kodai, is Pretty it? Pretty much, yeah. Tell me about Kodai, because I used to play on the afternoon program one of his big cello pieces, which okay. is really rocking. Yeah, he makes some nice stuff. Um, this, I'm not going to talk much about Kodai because I don't know enough about him to talk about him for very Stop long. Stop the rest of them. He was from Hungarian. He was Hungarian. Um, but this is very beautiful choral music for girls' choir. And there's just something very ethereal and mystical about this music. It really always draws me in. Nights in the Mountains, music from Kodai. Music there from Kodai, the choice of Sean Michael Lane, and uh, Nights in the Mountains. You know, just listening to that, Sean, it's, mm. it's you know, people have an, and, you know, a lot of people, not, maybe not people listening to lyric, I know, but a lot of people would have an issue with classical music and don't feel it's somewhere they can go or even want to yeah. be when they get when they get there. Mm -hmm. But you listen to that, I mean, it's like Brian Eno, that's, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's ambient music. There's a beautiful heard. static quality to it, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's extraordinary. And it, you, you kind of, Sometimes you need someone to show you the way into classical music, I think, you know, yeah. because often the people who are, who are claiming to show you the way are actually sending me away, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be in this gang, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, such a, it's a huge, huge thing. Like any kind of music, there's so many different avenues and parts in it, so, yep, check out. Kodai is my hot tip. Yeah, well, and it's spelled Kodaly, K-O-D-A-L-Y, but yeah. that's Kodai. Is but there a father or a backwards father kind of a line somewhere? In there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> okay. But um, and the other thing about classical music too is it's often treated as if it's this this big uh, like everything's the same and it's all brilliant. Yeah. And, and of course, it's over hundreds of years, and some of it you're going to like, and some of it you're not going to like, yeah. and that's perfectly fine. By any yardstick, I think I tend to think that most of everything is bad. Yeah. Any mo uh, most cinema is bad. Most yes. music is bad. Most of my shows. <laughs> but, uh, but 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 it's, it is true though, and I mean, people kind of think, well, if classical music it's good for me, and I have to listen to it. I have to yeah. like it. Well, you don't have to no. like it. It's like red wine. Like if you don't like the taste of the wine, then it's a bad wine. If you like it, then it's good. But there's, isn't there every chance in terms of people's own sensibilities that you might well love Beethoven, you might not like Mozart, yeah. you might like Bach, but you you might hate. Um, I don't know Berlioz or something. You know whoever. Yeah, you yeah, know, but, yeah. Uh, but but I think I think I do think people have this notion that they have to take the whole thing on board and yeah. accept it as brilliant. Yeah, because even the term classical music, it's stupid. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. So uh, just to take us back to the jazz then, because there's only one jazzer on your list as far as I can see. Well, yeah, it, from that school, there's some people influenced by jazz, sure. obviously. Um, and you've gone for Joe Henderson. Yeah, he's not the normal guy, so I thought I'd pick him. Yeah. Um, He's kind of tough. He's kind of a tough player, isn't he? I mean, oh, I don't think of him as tough. I think of him as very soft and extremely textured and nuanced in a way that a lot of the other guys, the really kind of heavy saxophone playery saxophone players, they're not like Joe Henderson. I think there's much more fluidity and movement in his music. And I mean, on a kind of technical tone level, I became really, really, really interested in him. Have having kind of studied a lot of Sonny Rollins. Uh, yeah, pretty much Sonny Rollins. Then I kind of, yeah, I was drawn more to Joe Henderson in the end. 
did you listen? Did you go back further than that and listen to you know Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster yeah, and those kinds of guys? I did, I did. Lester Young, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was I was practicing tenor saxophone actually. Um, I only moved to alto after I finished my formal education, so I was yeah I was checking all those guys out. Yeah, and I kind of tended to prefer that earlier swing stuff than the bebop stuff actually. Yeah. Um, I yeah, the, it was either the earlier stuff or the the post post-bop things that I was interested in. So where does that leave you with Charlie Parker then, who is who is the master of your instrument? Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. He's very good. We're not going to knock him out. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, no, he is very good. What can I, <laughs> how can I get past this well, one without knocking no, him? No one's going to, no one's going to argue with you about that. Did uh, you find, did you find that kind of bop me, like bop in the Charlie Parker area? Some people did just find it too frenetic. They couldn't keep yeah, it. yeah. I mean, as you can tell from my choices so far, I'm kind of drawn to slower stuff with more expansive stuff. And in a, in a way, jazz is the wrong place to look for that. And just as jazz is this big word that contains all of jazz, of course, is heaps of jazz. The, this next track isn't an example of it, but um, jazz that has that space and has that maybe introspection and kind of contemplative qualities that's pretty much what, if there is any kind of theme linking some of this music, it might be that. Okay, well, we listened to Joe Henderson. I said earlier on he was a tough player. I'll tell you, you know why I said that? I, sometimes I play a track, a track on, the, on the programme by some other artist, and then the sax, the sax solo starts, and you go, wow, that's a bit, it's really pushing there. You know? okay. And you realise it's Joe Henderson, yeah. nearly well, always, on those Blue Note sessions. You know? Yeah, he was a pretty super interesting player. Mm, okay, yeah. here we go. This is... Um, which one? Oh, it's from Tetragon, isn't it? Yep. Invitation. Uh, try called uh, Invitation. Joe Henderson there and uh, Invitation from the album Tetragon, the choice of uh, Sean Michael Lane is with me in studio. When you started playing sax, Sean, were you, was that what you were aspiring to... To, to, is that where you were trying to get? Well, roughly, uh, roughly. I mean, that is a little bit. That's a couple of years beyond where I started. Not that I ended up playing that, but um, I, Henderson was always a little bit on the edge of those things. He's not one of the kind of canonical masters. What well, he kind kind of is, but he's not a Sonny Rollins or John Coltrane. Yeah. Um, so Rollins was a really super big one. Coltrane, super big as well, but I kind of took a conscious decision to lay off on the Coltrane. I loved him, but I just heard everybody else turning into him. Yeah. So I just said, I'm going to try not to do that. It has been a huge issue for jazz over the years, just the, the tiring presence of yeah. Coltrane. Yeah. On the one hand, everybody tries to copy him, and then, mm. and then the other approach is there's no point in doing anything because it's all been done. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that, that has, and, but some people have looked at the music that way for yes. a very long time. You know? Yeah. Um, so what what was it then that brought you into? There's no word for what you guys do, but this jazz influenced area. Yeah, I actually have a clear answer for that because I remember. So I was neck deep in studying this stuff, and I might even been teaching it at that point. Um, you know, practicing for hours every day, which is such a strange concept to me now. I wouldn't be able to find the time. But I went to a gig which was free improvisation. Um, a group called Murmansk. They weren't from Murmansk, which is in Siberia. They were, they were from uh, Rohini. And, but what they were doing was on, like, I just, it, it was like the next step of, like, I didn't understand Hendrix or I didn't understand jazz. And then I absorbed Hendrix and I figured out what jazz was and 
found some kind of way into it. And th this was the next kind of clear marker, I remember, because these guys were like had bits of metal and they were scraping against radiators. And somehow it was in Trinity Chapel. Maybe that helped, but it sounded very beautiful to my ears. Very interesting because they were doing like you can hear even in that last track, you can hear Henderson exploring for things, maybe kind of like beyond his instrument or beyond what the instrument's supposed to do. So um, I was already kind of interested in that and even looking at electronics to, to do that. So I fell in with the wrong crowd and I started learning about free improvisation. And so these guys all, I realised there was a whole tradition and history of this music which I, I hadn't heard about whatsoever. Um, you know, your Derek Bailey's and uh, uh, Evan Parker and these guys. So... Uh, you've, I, I I actually happened to know one of the guys in the band from college years ago, so I inveigled my way in, into the group and I became one of those guys and I learned an, an awful lot about listening and how to communicate with people in a group in a way which was quite liberating compared to the kind of orthodox jazz quartet kind of thing which I had been mm. in, in, immersed in. So that was a stepping stone into seeing if I could bring both of these things together in some kind of interesting way. It felt like a thing that I didn't know that anybody else was doing, so I figured maybe I'll try and do it. The other element then, which is part of what you do then, is Irish music. Yeah. So where did that come from, or at what point did that appear? That came a good bit later. Um, I spent a good few years making kind of complex, angular, noisy kind of stuff, um, there was quite a strong kind of DIY scene in in Dublin in you know the, the mid noughties early noughties, um, and then it's it's perhaps maybe that I I did a, cer a certain amount of that and I guess I started finding or asking where my voice was in this kind of stuff. So I returned sooner or later back to kind of more spacious music and more diatonic, tuneful music, I suppose. And Irish music just seemed to present itself in a very logical way. I was also playing with some Irish musicians as well, which was a huge influence, um, particularly Cuivin O'Reilly, who I have a group with. And um, it was a, it was it was just all fit together. It made it makes complete sense to me. You know, I was I want to I'm going to play two pieces by you now, if you don't mind. Okay. okay? I want to play a piece with the group you mentioned. This is how we fly mm. with Cuivin. Uh, but I also want to just play another track from your own current record, which is called Music for Empty Years. There's a version on here of Mbuhu Quill Dove. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that probably gives a sense of what, what you're talking about, what you, what you can do with an Irish mm. tune. And um, so you, would, you, hadn't, you hadn't... Irish music wasn't necessarily part of your it's musical... It's not part of my brain. DNA as such, no. Yeah. No. It's something I'm super interested in and... I, uh, how do you? <laughs> Did you think it, okay, you say it's not part of your DNA, but when you start to play it, do you suspect that maybe it is? Uh, like in some kind of mystical kind of... Not mystical, <laughs> but just actual, you know, it's in, it's in your bones somehow. Well, what I think about when I play these old tunes is that they're very simple old tunes, but I could be playing other simple music from anywhere else in the world. It kind of, music just ends up, for me now at this point, just being music and... Uh, I'm not too con terribly concerned about its etymology. Okay, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And Buhal Kale Dove from uh, Sean Michael Lynn. I've been in Dublin so long now, I'm saying Dove. Yeah, the dark slender boy there. And uh, music for empty ears. So you're on that you're playing bass clarinet. Oh, sorry, bass saxophone. No, bass clarinet. Bass yeah. clarinet. Clarinet. Yeah, and there's electronic processing I'm doing as well. Oh, how did you get it? I didn't do them all at once, by the no, way, John. Well, Roshan Roland Kirk would have done it all at he once. He would yeah. have. Yeah. Now, how did, how did you... Um, Get a hand on electronics. Then that's a, one thing. Walking into a shop and getting a saxophone, but mm. electronics seems to be a frightening territory if they're uninitiated. Yeah, you can't. Well, you can't walk into a shop and do what I do with them because it's just not set up that way. But I started. Um, so I guess part of that free improv scene that I kind of plug myself into was that people were using electronics in performance, and there's a you know subsequent hi parallel history like in the states with live electronics and David Behrman and. Um, Paul Oliveros and these kind of people. Um, I bought loads of guitar pedals, at one at a time over years. <laughs> um, so I'd have a rig of guitar pedals, which are made for guitarists to stand on and stomp, but I'd have them on a table and I'd be manipulating them with my hands while trying to play saxophone with one hand. And then uh, that went on for years, and I was I was getting to the point of you know touring internationally and. and lugging like kilos and kilos of guitar pedals and cables all around the place and then I something strangely because I dropped out of college to study music but I ended up doing a PhD and that was all about live electronics and it was a chance for me to learn software programming actually so I now design my own software in yeah Max MSP and Pure Data and these kind of things, these non-poetic things we're not going to want to talk about. So there was, I mean, I know there's always a moment before you know how to do something, but in your case, there literally was a period when you knew nothing at all about electronics, and now you're at oh, this yeah. very advanced level. Yeah, well, it's just like, it's just learning. I like learning mm. things. So um, these electronics for me are a huge, huge part of what I do now. Um, and when I play live, like on this, on that record that, you, that we just heard, um, so I'm able to build electronics that, respond in a completely the exact way that I want them to work so, and so I might try different things or different shows um, and they're a really useful tool for me now and they kind of augment the instrument that I have and they're designed to augment my instrument and my playing. Well tell me a bit more about what the electronics can achieve if you know what I mean you could I mean for instance you could say electronics and, and that, that could mean that you've just got a strange sound going on in the background while yeah. you play the saxophone yeah which okay. can work perfectly well <laughs> yeah okay I should qualify it then by saying they're pretty much always live processing which means that my little box of electronics is blank and empty at the beginning of the gig and I play and it's listening to me and I'm I'm telling it what to listen to and what maybe to spit things out maybe an octave lower or higher up or five minutes later or backwards um, so that all the electronics that you're hearing are all um, they're born out of my, the sound of the axe of the of the horn so and is that the same as what they call live sampling is that a difference yeah thing? I guess that is kind of yeah. the same as they call live sampling yeah except so you're, you're sampling yourself as you play yes yeah. yeah but it's not always not always sampling sometimes it's, it's just real time uh, you're changing the either the pitch or the the sound of the instrument yeah. What do you need? What are the pitfalls with that? Do you think? What do you need to watch out for? The pitfalls are, I mean, at the worst extreme, going to see someone playing electronics live is someone sitting behind a laptop and just like a blue screen staring, illuminating their face. Yeah. Um, so I'm very careful not to to do that, not to even to use any screens on stage. Um, so I guess you need to be careful of not 
getting distracted or not treating it as if it's not an instrument that requires yeah. years of work and practice yeah. with. Yeah. So because sometimes people think, oh well, it's electronic, so if this I'll play with these knobs and mm. things will happen. But in terms of performing, and you can do that, it might it might sound great, but to be able to for me to be able to perform in front of people is important that I can communicate in an open kind of honest way in some kind of respect. Uh, so I have to be very careful that the electronics don't form any kind of barrier, I suppose. Now, when you form a group like uh, This Is How We Fly, and I want to play a track from them, I know you, you haven't chosen this, but I have, if you don't mind, I want to just illustrate what, what you do. Um, the people you've got involved in this, well, you, you're down as, in this case, not all the instruments, but clarinet and electronics, that's what you're... That's you're, all I do with on, them, yeah. Now, Quivin O'Reilly, who people know from the gloaming and so on, he's playing his hard anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demore. Yeah, Demore. Peter Berndalen. Or Berndalen, I don't know how it's Berndalen, yeah. Berndalen is on percussion. Then you've got Nick. <laughs> is it Garris? It's Garris. Rhymes with Paris, as it's he Garris, says. Is it? Garris, it's good yeah. to know that because I've yeah. never known how to pronounce his name. Nick Garris, percussive dance. Yeah. So he's a dancer. He's a dancer, but he's a musician. <laughs> yeah, with his feet. Yeah. So Quivine was the only person who knew all all of us at once. I I had been rehearsing and playing a little bit with Quivine by that point, and he said we're going to get it a dancer in and I'd worked with like contemporary dancers that was great but this person was a gonna make noise dancing I was I have to say sorry Nick I love you and everything but I was very apprehensive and but when I saw him he has to be seen to be believed um yeah so he we just he treats himself and we treat him like a musician um it's there's no show and there's no spotlight on Nick it's not really about that it's just about the noise that he makes with his feet he happens to be very pleasing to watch as well but that's just a Pleasing byproduct. Okay. Music there from This Is How We Fly. Uh, this Is How We Fly is uh, Nick Garris, uh, Peter Berndalen, or Berndalen, yeah, um, Quivin O'Reilly, and my guest tonight, Sean McElaine. And Sean's picking all the music tonight on Mystery Train. We'll be right back after this break. And this is Mystery Train on RTE Lyric FM, the Sunday night special. The music tonight being chosen by Sean McIrlane is a multi-instrumentalist from Dean's Grange. We just played him there on his, um, his album, This Is How We Fly, with his group, this is how we fly, which is uh, Nick Garris, Peter Berndalen, uh, Peter Berndalen, Peter Berndalen, Sean McElaine, and uh, Quivian O'Reilly. Yeah, so it's gorgeous stuff. That track was called um, Foreign Fields from the album This Is How We Fly. From the album Foreign Fields, actually. And there's a previous album as well, which I love, which is called, that one is just called This Is How We Fly. And your album is called music for empty ears. Before we leave this kind of general territory, because we've been talking a lot about the sort of music that you've ended up playing and Mm. and the electronic side of it, Um, Jan Bang is a musician who performs on your album. Again, it's live sampling samples on acoustic bass drum. Um, Tell me a little bit about Jan Bang, because he's... he's, uh, He's I've had had reason to say that name many times on the show, because his appearances with various people. Right, yeah, he's done a huge amount of stuff. He's, and he started out as a kind of pop music producer in Norway, in Oslo. And Jan Bang is kind of credited as one of these pioneers of live sampling, actually, because he 
he had like an Akai sampler, which is a pretty dull machine that can sample things. But he had this idea that maybe he'd be able to use it on stage, which nobody else had done. And to this day, he still uses this this big black box from the 1990s with buttons on it. Um, and so he started working with a lot of the jazz musicians and then in the Oslo scene, um, and he'd be processing them live, which wasn't something that had been happening before. So then. again, what's happening there is he's sitting there with, with a band of musicians on stage, and mm. he's listening to what they're doing and taking yep. bits of it and, yep. and and pushing it back out into the music again. Somehow. That's right, yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it's a super idea, and he's a complete master of it. He's a, he's an amazing thinker of, of, about music, and he was incredible to have in the studio, um, apart from to getting to play with them, but also as a as his experience as a producer. So he co-produced the album. Um, he had a lot of very incisive, good decision making happened on his part. So it was yeah more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> so what, tell me about this track you're going to play, the midwife's dilemma. Oh yeah, this is one from one of his albums. Um, he hasn't made a, a lot of albums under his own name. This one's called "And Poppies from Kandahar." And this is a nice one because it has the singing of Cecil Anderson, who was on your show last week. But um, she's an incredible singer, also from Norway. Norway's pretty much the most interesting place in the world for me, musically. Um, and so these two well, people... What's, what's all that about, by the way? Because I, it's, it's, you know, the best jazz coming out of there yeah. and the best electronic stuff. I think they've just been doing it for longer and they've done it with a confidence that... Yeah, you haven't seen in a lot of other countries. So, the, you know, in the 50s and stuff, they had American guys coming over and they all took to it. Jazz was popular in that country, unlike our yeah. little country, where it was illegal. Um, <laughs> and they, um, like Jan Gabarik, as I learned uh, his pronunciation yeah. last week, um, these these people would have started using their own folk music and playing with jazz and the idea of jazz or using jazz as a process rather than a, a linguistic like a, a, a stylistic code you don't have to play swinging american jazz music you could maybe use some of the chord voicings or some of the things to try and make sense and use improvise with your own folk music so people around Jan Bang and Jan himself have been doing this and this singer Cecil Anderson is incredible singer um who she i was going to play other tracks of hers she's got a beautiful solo record which sounds heavily edited like digitally edited but actually that's the way she sings she can turn things on and off like a machine um and invent languages constantly she's yeah she's something else wow okay yan bang the midwife's dilemma And that's uh, Sitzel, the choice of Sean Lane, and uh, she's performing there with Jan Bang on the midwife's the track called "The Midwife's Dilemma" from an album called "In Poppies from Kandahar." Sean Lane picking all the music tonight. Um, Gillian Welch is on your list. Oh yeah, of course she is. Now, she's country and western. No, she's she's well again. Yeah, these, how do you categorize these labels? These, don't they don't matter? They don't they, matter. They don't mean anything. Because herself and David Rawlings, the guitar player. Yeah. I mean, what exactly are they doing? It's hard to put your finger on it. Yeah. Well, they're just telling stories, singing songs. Yeah. Really fine, fine songwriting. Uh, I, just, I love, I love this album so much. 
Rawlings as a guitar player is, is fairly extraordinary, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. I mean, and and uh, and backing vocals as well. They're so tight and it's very satisfying music. Did you get much into what you would call American roots music? Nope. Not at all. And uh, a tiny, you know, sprinklings. Mm. I had somebody else on my list, but he didn't. He didn't make the cut. Paul Birch. Right, I know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He used to come here quite a bit, actually, and perform in Wheelings, I think. Yeah, ah. yeah. Okay. Um, so Gillian Welsh, and and what is it you 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 like about this? Because I mean, the reason I ask about the American Roots thing is, if you were into American Roots music when mm. Gillian Welsh appeared, you kind of went to her gigs and went, "That's the real thing." There, you know, she mm. she really is singing mm-hmm. the old stuff. Yeah, but that wouldn't have meant anything particular to you, would it? Oh. If you weren't into it, <laughs> maybe not. I just take it as it is. You're probably right. Everything is free from uh, Gillian Welsh. And that's Smog and a track called I Feel Like the Mother of the World. Before that, Gillian Welsh and Everything is Free from the Revelator album. The choice of Sean McIrlain is with me in studio. You like smog, yeah? Oh, I love smog. Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan, yeah. That was the last record under the smog moniker. He's now gone back to Bill Callahan. Yeah, he's one of the guys I listen to most, actually. Yeah, I just think he's an incredible songwriter and his voice is just big and open and easy and um, he's got some yeah, very, very beautiful records. And even though you're you're an instrumentalist yourself, are you big into lyrics, big into words? I am. I am big yeah. into words, yeah. Um yeah, that was like alongside music growing up, I was a kind of uh, voracious reader. Um, I've backed off a little bit now. But um, yeah, words are really important to what me. Kind of, what kind of books were you reading? Uh-oh. <laughs> I'd like the, probably some of the predictable classics. I was I was listening, reading, reading Camus and Sartre as a Good man. as a ennui-ridden 16-year-old. Um, and I'm very big into... I still am very big into Joyce and Beckett. Those really? guys. Oh, yeah. I admire your openness in declaring that without any apology. Why would you be well, apologising about that? It, it, it attracts the wrath of those sorts of people. You're going to get texts into your show those now, are you? Of people who don't like, who don't like uh, Joyce and Beckett. But Joyce and Beckett are like the best writers in the world. Yeah, that's my point as well. Mm. Why wouldn't you read them? But, how would you, but having said that, how did you get on with... Uh, well, maybe Camus is readable enough, but what about what about Sartre at the age of sixteen? Would you, I mean because I read books at that age, and looking back, I, I mustn't have read them at all because none, none of it went in. I'd I'd be in the same camp. Yeah, yeah I think you you I you'd probably get a flavour of things, and a lot of it washes over you. Yeah. And but that's fine, you know, let it wash over you. Yeah, that's true. Some of it some of it goes in, and some yeah. of it, some of it's like music anyway. So you just enjoy yeah, exactly. enjoy the exactly. enjoy the rhythms. Yeah. Yeah, but I did read a lot of books and I really, looking back, yeah. not sure I read them. Yeah. I owned them. <laughs> did you, did you walk Show them to your friends. Yeah, I walk around <laughs> with them under your arm. Yeah. So, <laughs> bring them to discos. Um, so, uh, we're moving on to uh, Vinicio, or Vinicio Camposella. So tell me about Vinicio Camposella, apart from the fact you probably pronounced his name It's something like well. Vinicio Camposella. Uh, well, come I'm on. I'm just showing off, though. No. <laughs> Verdi. Vinicio uh, is uh, to to pretty much to most Italians. Um, yeah, he's pretty well known. He's just a great, great singer and musician, and he's worked with some really interesting people. I, actually, on this on this track, we're going to play 
um, you'll hear Mark Rebo, who's on a good few of his albums. Uh, and I'm a big, big fan of Mark Rebo. And I'm also a big, big fan of Tom Waits, a huge fan of Tom Waits. And I think Vinicio is a huge fan of Tom Waits, too. I'd say he is. And uh, tell me, just before we hear this, Mark Rebo, yeah. um, I've heard him play with Waits and with, with uh, Elvis Costello and mm. with various people. I remember, I know a guitar player saying to me, what's that guy doing? I just didn't get what Rebo was doing because it was so angular and yeah. kind of out of tune. Yeah. Not out of tune, but, you know, yeah. slightly wrong, yeah. which, which I thought was... Yeah, but it's the right right side of wrong. I thought, I thought it was joyous. Yeah. Right? But he isn't actually out of tune, is he? No. Ever. No. But, but, well. but there's something kind of not quite... Yeah, he's a little lopsided. Lopsided, that's the word I'm after. Is he lopsided in this? Yeah. Good. Vinicio Camposella, the choice of Sean McElaine there and uh, the ballad of uh, San Vito. I'm not going to try and say it in Italian, but I think I'm right in my uh, off-the-cuff translation. <laughs> so, um, just, just listening to that, I mean, apart from the, the fact that the guy's singing in Italian, it's got a very Italian feel about it. Yeah. It's all music, though, isn't it? I mean, because it, be, it could be from lots of places in yeah, lots of ways. It you could, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I think some of, a lot, well, tracks like that have a very nice, earthy, European kind of old, well, Italy has that thing. Um, and uh, Venicio works like with musicians from, I guess, traditional Italian backgrounds, but a lot of jazz musicians as well. And but also people from um, Armenia and Montenegro and these kind of areas as well. And Greek, it's a beautiful record with Greek traditional players as well. Now, when you start to combine um, influences like that, and you've done this in in this is how we fly and you know, in, in other situations as well. Again, what do you need to be sort of mindful of? I had this conversation possibly with Queeving, certainly with somebody, um, about, you know, if you start mixing genres and bringing people from different countries together to play, mm. it can be it can be marvellous, or it can turn into some kind of mush. Yeah. With neither one thing nor the other, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the dreaded word is fusion. Fusion. Mush. Yeah. <laughs> Um, keep away from fusion, I suppose. Uh, but what's 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 what is what's the difference in fusion and you know a successful collaboration? I think it's just about um, like like Beckett taking things on their own terms and just dealing with the person and the musician in front of you rather than being weighed down by by hundreds of years of mm. notions. Yeah. Um, so and listening and just being sensitive and having yeah the wherewithal to listen and respond appropriately. I think it comes out as simple as that. Because when you're, when you're, for instance, playing um, the Dark Slender Boy or some tune on saxophone, yeah. and, and Jan Bang, who doesn't know that tune, starts yeah. doing something in the background, yeah. do you, would you ever find yourself looking sharply to your right and going, oh, don't, don't do that? Mm, not with him, you wouldn't. Not with him, I wouldn't. But with some other musician, you could possibly find yourself... Of course, because, but, but it wouldn't be because... Um, of any kind of uh, sacredness of um, the dark slender boy, but it would just be because they'd be just doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And there is no right thing to do, but you still know when it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so you just pick your fight, your sparring partners carefully, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, I know it's interesting because there's more and more of that happening now because, mm. you know, there's, there's a lot of musicians like yourself that seem to operate within a, a sphere that sort of covers traditional music's. Mm -hmm classical, mm. I don't know what they call it now, new music, I, I think, think they call yeah. it new music. Yeah. Um, electronica, you know, ambient, you know, jazz. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, well, all those things are breaking down, I think. And I think those, all those things are only invented by 
for reasons of marketing mm-hmm. and money. I think anyone who listens to stuff, people who listen to the radio now, they don't turn on the radio and go, oh, that sounds like French pop music. They just, okay, maybe it's sung in French, but uh, they, you don't listen to a song goes, ah, oh, that sounds like the blues. Yeah, Your brain doesn't do that. Yeah. It's just, this is music, and you might know, oh, this is the blues, so this is a blues song, but you're not, your music bypasses all of those things for the listener, so it's it's very easy to find open-minded audiences who will readily accept you playing on Buchel Quail Dove with someone from Norway playing you backwards at the same time. It's fine. I couldn't have put that better myself. Next choice is uh, the Reverend Al Green. Mm. Um, where did you come across the Reverend Al? Well, he's pretty well known. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is true. I, I actually I was very close to his to his neck of the woods. He's I can't remember where he is. Memphis. He's in Memphis. I went to that church once. Oh, did you? Okay. Four hour long church service. Okay. Went, I went in a flash, by the way. It was very, yeah. you know the way people talk about that nobody goes to church anymore? Yeah. Get Al Green in every Sunday. <laughs> Places will be packed. There's something really beautiful about this song. It's, it's just, there's very little in it and there's so much restraint in the musicians and there's, you know, lyrically there's not a lot going on but he's so close up to the mic you can just really hear all the details of what he's doing and, uh, it's yeah, just it's it's beautiful. Now, which one? Which one do you want here? Um, so, so simply beautiful. Simply beautiful. Yeah, the Reverend Al, the Reverend Al Green. Mm-hmm. Now there's Al Green, and simply beautiful. The choice of Sean Michael Lane. There's literally nothing wrong with that at all. No, no, just, no. just incredible. Is perfect. We not even comment on that. No. We just leave that one out there. Lips are sealed. Yes, just leave that one out there. Now, um, we're jumping all over the world here at the moment, but we're going to move on to Caetano Veloso, very mm-hmm. famous Brazilian also well known musician, yeah. also well known. Um, now, the world music thing as another label I know, which yeah. which is unsatisfactory in a million ways, but mm-hmm. at the same time. Did I remember when a lot of music started to become available? It was the time yeah. CDs, actually, a lot of stuff started yeah, to become rough available. Guide. Rough Used Guide, to, all yeah. that stuff. And Virgin Earthworks label brought out all the yeah. South African stuff. And yeah. Lots of music coming in. Did you get excited by that? Really did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm up that age that it was a thing when it came out. Um, yeah, I remember like Rough Guides to Romania. That was an incredible one. Um, and I would have done my best then to try and find out more about each band if, if I could. Yeah. This is all pre-internet. Um, yeah, I don't think any of them like directly shaped my music back then or anything, but it was definitely an exciting time. Well, it used the, the cliche about travel; it broadened the mind. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, you know, you heard a lot of a yeah. lot of new music, and the thing was, this music was was just as good and better yeah. than the music that you already knew. That was yeah. the thing. It wasn't some kind of strange, strange, difficult thing that you had to work at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knew people in Brazil were able to dance? Who knew? Yeah, play football. <laughs> Caetano Veloso and uh, Oliazino, which means a uh, little lion, doesn't it? Yeah. Now we had three in a row there because I didn't want to interrupt the flow. Choices from Sean Macarlane is with me in studio tonight picking the tracks. We had uh, Caetano Veloso and Oliazino, Brazilian singer. Then we had Joanna Newsom, Sprout and the Bean. Uh, from Joanna Newsom, and that was uh, Arva Henriksen, Sandman, uh, and 
I, just, I said his name correctly, didn't I? As far as I know. Yeah, that's all right. I just thought I, I just thought I sensed, <laughs> I, I sensed some recoil there. No, um, Henriksen, um, you were just telling me he's he kind of is your musical hero, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely pretty much one of the most interesting musicians I for me I'm playing at the moment. Yeah, Norwegian yeah. as well. Is Norwegian, he? and he's part of that same kind of gang, like with Sidsel and Jan Bang and Ivan Arset, who's also on my album. So, yeah, he, he just does really special stuff with a trumpet. Yeah, Arva Henriksson, extraordinary. Mm. And the Joanna Newsom one sounded good too, didn't it? This sure, he, the beam. sure he did. I, not everyone likes her. She seems to divide people, but I'm, I'm a really big fan. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Now, before we play your last track, Sean, I just want to mention some gigs you've got coming up. Um, quite a lot of them, actually, by the looks of things. Uh, Friday night. Now... It's not Nosferatu, it's Nosferatu or N-Y-Sferatu. Yeah, it, it's a, it's, it's, I think it's, everything's hard to pronounce tonight, but um, it's Nisferatu, I think, and it, it's N-Y... Nisferatu. Yeah, because it's set in N-Y, New York. New York. So it's a kind of a retelling of the classic vampire thing, um, um, and it's got to do more with contemporary problems around migration and the Syrian crisis. Okay, so this is Nisferatu, Symphony of the Century, Bram Stoker Festival, St Anne's Church, Dawson Street, Dublin, 7pm. That's this Friday. Um, live score, Matthew Nolan, Eric Friedlander, Sean Michaelin, and Jan Bang. Yep. So nothing wrong with that lineup of musicians, that's for sure. Uh, the 20... 26th. Oh, you're doing it again at 9pm. We're doing it right? two, two nights. Yeah, I mean, sorry, twice in one night. Very yeah, good. Two shows. This is in case we, we got it wrong the first time. <laughs> then the 2nd of uh, November, this is how we fly. You played them earlier, the band you're in with Cueva and O'Reilly. Yeah. Um, the Ala Maxima at UCC in Cork. The 3rd, the Model Sligo. The 4th, the Blackgate in Galway. The 9th, Connolly's of Lep, Lep. Pronounced correctly. Correct. County Cork. The 10th, this is how we fly at the Riverbank Arts Centre, Newbridge, County Kildare. The 15th, the Pavilion in Dunleary, County Dublin. The 16th, the Solstice Arts Centre in Navan. And on the 11th, the Barbican in London. Uh, makes me tired even just hearing it. Wow, wow. Okay, that's, that's, that's a busy, busy few weeks ahead of you. Yeah. Sean, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks Great pleasure. For, thanks for your time and for putting all this music together. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I might, uh, inspired by you now, I know you were 16 when you did it, but yeah. I might go and buy a saxophone and see what You're happens. You're never too old. I could play a tin whistle, so I'm kind of halfway there. It's pretty there. much the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> that is if you want to hear Roddy McCorley play it on the, uh, on the saxophone. Um, so this is, um, your last track is, oh, James Blake. Yeah. Tell me about James Blake. I'm a big fan of this guy's music um, and his production. I'm very interested in production as well and he just does the most surprising things. Um, he's got these nice pop songs, and he's, he's a nice singer, but you just have no idea what to expect next in terms of the textures moving underneath them and just because really he nice does, stuff. He does sit in that kind of area where at first glance you think he's just another one of those guys who's singing contemporary yeah, he's pop, not. pop music, and then you go, actually, no, he's not. No, there's a lot to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's simple stuff, and all his records are gorgeous, and yeah. David Byrne's a big fan of him. Okay. Which is always a good sign. Great. He's a big fan of yours too. <laughs> Never shuts up about it. Sean, <laughs> thanks for coming in. Thanks a million. Thank you. My brother You've been listening to a podcast of Mystery Train with John Kelly. Mystery Train hits the rails every Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on 96 to 99 RTE Lyric FM.